Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. I'm not going to get into the details of why he wasn't here or what, whether he was excused and all of those things. Um, I just assume leave those things in house. Um, I understand sometimes you got some negativity. You know, we lost a football game. Uh, there were some negative exchanges on the sideline. There's frustration associated with not playing well and not winning. Um, I understand all that. That is called damage control from Mike Tomlin right there after a rough few weeks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Welcome to Off the Bench, Danny Cannell, Rajah Bell usually in, our boy Brady uh, Quinn filling in for him, superstar, stud of the net, face of CBS Sports HQ, essentially, <laughs> is what you that. are right here filling in for us. So I'm looking forward to get to a lot of stuff with you. Mike Tomlin specifically, when Antonio Brown doesn't show up Monday, your first thought was? My initial thought was it's probably some sort of personal reason. Because I'm looking at this season so far for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm trying to discern what's different. Obviously, there's the big elephant in the room. There's no Le'Veon Bell. So that's one thing. They're, they got off to a slow start this season. They, they tied Cleveland week one, should have won, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they lose week two to Kansas City in pretty bad fashion. You go back to last year, they were 2-0, and right? So they start off the season completely different. Todd Haley's not there anymore. So... Maybe that's somehow impacted Antonio Brown, his feelings toward this offense, toward the system, how things are going. The only thing to refute that is he's been targeted more than any wide receiver in the NFL. So he can't necessarily be that unhappy about it. I, I, I think it could be something like this because it all started with a, a tweet that was sent out yeah. by a former PR employee of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he responded to it. And everyone tries to kind of connect this tweet to why he didn't show up Monday. Now, Drew Rosenhouse says otherwise. He said it's a personal reason. One thing didn't have anything to do with the other. But in, in, in a, on a team where if you look at what the difference was in 2017 versus what it is in 2018, and the one missing piece is Bell, maybe it's all of a sudden Antonio Brown's feeling like you know he's not getting enough attention or credit for how good he is. Because right now for the Pittsburgh Steelers, as bad as their defense looked in Week 2, they were pretty good in Week 1. To me, I think the storyline is all of a sudden being more about, it's all about Le'Veon Bell. Not having that piece to your team is the difference between this team being a winning football team and potentially a Super Bowl a contending team versus just being a team that's 0-1-1 right now. I think this locker room is a mess. I do. But I think historically they've been a mess. Like this team somehow thrives through adversity. I mean, if you go back last year, they had lost two of three. Ben comes off a horrific game against Jacksonville. Antonio Brown's chucking water coolers on the sideline. And then they're able to get things back in check. They come back and they rally around it. I just wonder how long can you continue to succeed in an environment like that? Because it feels like there are, you know, cracks in the, in the foundation in Pittsburgh. Like, I don't believe him at all. I don't think it was a personal issue. I think he was ticked off. I think he was hot. And you know how Monday practices are. I'm sure in Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin. It's not even practice. Right, right. If you win, you don't even have to go. A lot of teams make it optional or you don't have to come in Mondays at all. But the thing, because you lost, because he was, he was chippy on the sideline. Like he was, he was going at some coaches, some other players. He was upset. Still, he had nine targets and a bunch of catches. Yeah. Now Juju Smith-Schuster had a monster game. If he's upset about his stats and a loss, I have a big problem with that because I can't stand guys like that. Like yeah. if you're upset about losing, I love it. Like if that's why he's upset and he was ticked and yelling at people, then I'm okay with that. It feels bigger than that, and I still wonder what impact the Le'Veon 
not being in there. I wonder if there's factions in the locker room even because we've seen something we've never seen before really in the NFL when you've got guys calling out a guy over money. You just don't see that. I wonder if there's some guys who were saying, stay away. Why are you talking about that? Like, I, I just feel like there might be clicks develop, developing in that locker room. And I think it's something Mike Tomlin has to be careful of. The biggest thing is there's no leadership from the right. playing side. I mean, that, that's put that on Ben. I, I do. And, and I, I put this whole season so far a little bit on Ben because they've gotten off to slow starts in both of their games. And that has a lot to do with him. These sorts of locker room issues, as much as you want to chalk it up to the head coach at some point in time too, You've got to take accountability as a player. Like, I remember, so in 2013, I signed with the Seattle Seahawks. Had no idea what to expect. All I knew was Pete Carroll was the head coach. Everyone talked about every team meeting being like a pep rally. And so I was kind of curious because I went up against this guy in college, hated him back then. And so now I get the opportunity to be on the other side to see what it's like. And I got to tell you, he made football fun. It was the best environment I'd ever been around in, in any level of football. But... One thing I noticed that he did was he made players take accountability for what they did in the locker room, how they handled the team. He didn't even give a pregame pep speech in, in the preseason. And it's the same thing in the regular season. It wasn't any change. Right. Red Bryant, one of our defensive linemen, would get up and they'd play like bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> and, and literally he would get up and he'd give like a team speech and then we'd roll out. Right. And that was how it went. It was no pep talk from the head coach, nothing like that. And, and I remember thinking like, this is an interesting locker room because there's an open forum. Players, can can almost I don't want to say like argue and fight, but you know they take things head on. I mean, and they would you know he's very open about trying to get players to discuss different issues. And, and I remember being there for like four or five months, whatever it was in March, all the way to the end of August, thinking this is a unique locker room environment. And if you don't have strong player leadership, this can get out of hand. This 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 can end up being an issue for you moving forward. And I think we've seen as some of those pieces have moved on in Seattle. Yep. How that's changed and how Pete Carroll's had to kind of get the team younger, maybe a, a little more green to some of the things he likes to do. Maybe that's where Pittsburgh at some point kind of is going to get to or Mike Tomlin needs to get to because they just don't have enough leadership and accountability in that locker room right now. And that's what's that because they've always been able to win through the, if they start losing, that's when you see kind of those locker rooms that are a mess really implode because if they get back on track it'll be non-issue and they can still have arguments they can still disagree guys cannot show up to practice but i do think tomlin has to be careful with how he handles this does he find antonio brown when he comes back is there any sort of punishment because if you give antonio brown different treatment i think that irks guys a lot in a locker room it does but it's man. hard wait, 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 but he's <laughs> antonio brown he's the best receiver in the nfl you know how that how works do it? Yeah, yeah exactly all right so we got drama there we've had drama unfolding in new england for probably the past year and a half, and they've been able to thrive under it too, but it does feel like it's different because of the Brady-Belichick dynamic and the, really the triumvirate. His craft is involved in this too. So there's a new book out uh, by Ian O'Connor, and it claims that Brady wanted a divorce from Belichick. Do you buy it? Well, let, let me ask you this. who uh, Ian O'Connor, who does he write for? Uh, ESPN. ESPN, okay. Because, <laughs> yes. look, I'm not into conspiracy theories, but right. it, it does seem like ESPN has some sort of issue wanting to break apart the New England Patriots. Like, <laughs> like, I, don't I think know. everybody does. I think everybody wants to be the first one to say, that's it, the end of the dynasty is here, Tom Brady's too old. Like, it feels like there's a race. Like every, And now there's so many people that are doing it. It's like, well, you're everybody's saying it. But I, I tend to go the other way. Like, I want to see it implode first before I go out and predict it because they've been able to survive and coexist just fine with all these Super Bowls and getting to Super Bowls. I don't think it's a big deal. 
I'm with you. It's like timing the stock market, right? Like no one's going to be perfect with when this happens, but you, you definitely want to be there to try to take advantage of it when you can. The issue with Brady and Belichick to me is it's kind of a non-issue. Like for as much as we want to act like this drama has impacted them, they made it to the Super Bowl last yes. year. I mean, they didn't win it, but they were pretty darn close. He How played really well. Take that, they'd be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we got to the Super Bowl, even though we didn't win. It's ridiculous. And, and look, they're they're one and one right now. They went down to Jacksonville to take on a tough Jacksonville Jaguars team. And you tell me, if you saw the end of that game, did you not think that they still had an opportunity oh, to win at the sure. end? Oh, for sure, hundred percent. And they don't have Edelman. They don't really have another option. It's why they got Josh Gordon. I just. I keep reading reports and these people talking about this, the potential of this fractured relationship and all that. That's a family. You know, and Ian O'Connor made it sound like more of a, um, a marriage is what he was trying to kind of compare it to. And, and to me, I just don't see it that way. I, I see it more like a family where you've got this father-son relationship. Yes. And, you know, you don't like all the time the tough love your father gives you. But you know later on in life, and you know that it, it's it's what's best for you. You may not want to admit it in the moment, and it may be tough to deal with. And maybe that's why he needed more time away from Bill Belichick because he's getting to the point where he's older now, right? Yeah. Like, like it's okay to move away from the house and move away from your family. You're going to take those lessons that you've learned with you, and then you'll you know come back. And that's what he's done. And I and I think, you know, looking at how he's handled um, the off seasons now, it, it's to me it's more about him wanting to be with his family more, like legitimately. And then coming back, and I think he played more in the preseason than any starter did. And then that was probably part of the agreement. But I don't think there's as much of a fraction in that relationship than people think. I don't think the the relationship has ever been that chummy. Like I don't think it's been that great ever. I think if you would have said 10 years ago, you would have said, does Brady love Belichick? No, but he loves winning. And that's ultimately why this marriage or father-son relationship is successful because you have two guys who want to win above anything else. And that's it. And they are dead set on working, driving themselves, driving the team, driving the locker room towards winning Super Bowls so that it works. And they don't have to be chummy. That's the thing. I think people think, oh, in a locker room, you have to have you know this tight relationship with your head coach. They've proven over time that you don't have to have that. I think it's more respect is what you want to have. 100%. And, and, and for me, I, I kind of got like this as I started to move from team to team in the NFL – it got harder to really want to develop those personal relationships <laughs> because one, you knew the chance that you weren't going to be there any longer. So you had to put your job first over the actual personal relationship with that player. But two, it, it then came to be about, you know, you knew that they may move on anyway. So you don't want to waste this, you know, precious, uh, scarce time that you have with these individuals that you didn't know if they were going to be there that long. So, you know, that, that's the other hard part of it is it's such a tough business. I don't know that any coach really wants to get overly close or chummy with those athletes because there will come that day, Father Time gets the best of us all, where he's got to make the tough decision. He's got to move on. There was a crazy suggestion in this book. It says, the moment Belichick moved Garoppolo to San Francisco and banked on Brady's off-stated desire to play at least into his mid-40s was the moment Brady was virtually locked into suiting up next season and beyond. Had he retired or requested a trade, he would have risked turning an adoring New England public into an angry mob. See, this is this to me what drives me nuts because this is a quote that's been taken and people are running with it. Like, oh, my gosh, he didn't request a trade. Like, he didn't. Like, yeah, it would have been crazy, but he didn't. Ultimately, he is there playing. I do think there is something because I felt like when they did – and I've – do you think Brady was behind Garoppolo getting traded? Like, do you think he was – do you think he was a moving force in that? Because I think he probably did have some say in that. Well, they have the same agent. Right, right. So I, I don't he know. He was aware of what was going on. I think he was aware of what's going on. I think if, if you're Don Yee, his agent, you're probably saying, my one, my one player is telling me he wants to play to his 45. Right. 
So what's in the best interest of my player and me if I'm that agent? It's I need to get Jimmy Garoppolo to another team because he's going to get paid. Like he wants that. I want that. Like we're both aligned in that interest. And it just wasn't going to be in New England until Tom Brady's moved on. Um, so I don't think he really had um, an impact on it, maybe besides the fact that he is adamant about trying to play till he's 45. And he but, locked him out of the out, out of TB12 center. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of messed up. That is kind of messed yeah, up. I don't even but, know how true that is. I mean, come <laughs> I, on. It's, oh, hey, another ESPN another report. ESPN I'm, report. Just saying, yeah. I'm just saying it was there, out There's there. been a few swings and misses right, by, by, <laughs> right. by the old uh, I do ESPN think it's show. funny, too, is after they lost to Jacksonville, you know, you hear the rumblings. Oh, he looks older now. He's still doing the same things he did last year. They'll still be fine. He's what do you mean he looks or he, he scrambled right. up for a first down? And he protects himself, which is the same thing a lot of quarterbacks do. If you can't run, you're going to yeah. throw it away. You're going to take a sack. Why stand up and take it? How many years younger is he than Eli or older than Eli? Like five? Eli's 37, yeah. So he's, he's four, like four or five. Yeah, four, yeah. He, he looks better oh, than Eli Manning times does. better, yeah. And he's 41 years old. Yes, he does. He looks outstanding. It's that diet, man. I'm telling you, plant-based. <laughs> Are you on it? Are you no, on it now? My wife wants him to be on it, but I cheat. It's all about the rubber bands, too, right? Pliability. He has the shirt. I got to get a pliability shirt. Uh, so we have old quarterbacks we're talking about. We also have young quarterbacks. Josh Allen, I have to admit, I was one of the ones, and I probably overreacted to it, said, oh, this Bills team's going to be awful. It's a huge mistake to play Josh Allen. Still very early. It still might be. But I actually thought he handled himself okay in his first start in the NFL when there was a big sense of panic as, oh, how bad is this going to be? I thought he looked all right. And I think it's good for him to go out there and play. Now, the stats, two interceptions, not good. It was ugly. Got sacked a bunch. But I'm kind of coming full circle to saying, you know what? If he's your future, you might as well play him and start learning. Because the only experience you can truly learn from, you can do all the stuff in the playbook. You know, you can do all the stuff on the board, watch all the film. But unless you're in the pocket, seeing the field, seeing defenses, there's no better teacher than that. Yeah, the only issue with that is, is I think these are, you know, experience is good unless it's bad experiences, right? Like, right. like in life, like we're always like, oh yeah, no, you want experience when it reps at something. Well, not if it's a terrible environment and not if you don't have any help around you. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's what he's dealing with. And I think for Sean McDermott, their head coach, he is their best option at quarterback. So they've got to play him. It's not just not about their only option. That's the thing that bothers me about McDermott. They had, zero plan or the plan they had failed miserably because he even said he referenced when he was with Andy Reid and they had Donovan McNabb they waited till November and so he wanted to hold out and because Peterman was so bad they basically couldn't keep him out there so they were forced into playing well let me just say this they completely botched the quarterback situation (laughs) you paid AG McCarron four million dollars he's making like 900 grand out in out in Oakland (laughs) right like you are you paid the majority of his his salary to basically just go have him steal reps from Peterman and Josh Allen during the offseason and then trade him to another team team and and another team within the same conference like that whole quarterback situation was botched to your point if they wanted to keep McCarron and and they had two options instead of just Peterman they would have at least had the opportunity to go to McCarron you you give him a number of games to go you know after Peterman if you feel like he was your best option and then you go to Josh Allen and yes it takes up an additional roster spot but I think of in the end, if you're really looking at the long-term value of Josh Allen and how you want to try to build him up to let him take over, that would have been the best way to go about doing it. But yet yeah, we, we see them already after what one half of football, one right. game, right? Put him in the starting lineup. They're a bad football team; they can't protect them. There's no one to separate on the outside. 
that's going to be an issue. And now they don't even have a running game because LaShawn McCoy's ribs are banked up. Right. So he doesn't even have help from a running game. And this defense isn't playing to the level that it was last year. So literally, this is the the perfect storm for a rookie quarterback to go in and struggle. And I talk about this all the time. Like Confidence, I think, is a huge thing for quarterbacks mm-hmm. and cornerbacks yep. because they play on an island. They're always exposed. Everyone's watching what they're doing. And my concern, I think, moving forward with him is – is if they if they end up being like a one win two win team, which honestly, I mean, they're a seventeen point underdog going to take on the Minnesota Vikings, and and the Vikings could very well cover that number in in easy fashion. If they end up having one of those just terrible seasons, I kind of worry about how fragile he's going to be moving right. in the second year. And I know people are like, "Well, he's not mentally tough enough." Then look, I don't care was, how did you have Bratch on your radio show last week. He was doing yeah. a media tour. Yeah, I asked him that, and he said, "Hey, if he's your franchise, he'll be able to endure. He can do it." You know, Troy Aikman, well, Peyton Manning. Give me the steel curtain, then Terry, and and, 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 and and like let me have that defense and a great running game right. to like have on my back too. But he did reference Peyton and Troy because yeah. they both had rough, you know, rookie. Well, seasons. and and that's where I think if you're if you look at the Colts, they bought in, right? right? Like they were a hundred percent in on on Peyton Manning, and that and they weren't going anywhere. And so if you're the Buffalo Bills, you better be like how Sean McDermott was with Jared Goff, where when he got to L.A., his first responsibility was building up Jared again. Because all he heard was this negative talk from everyone outside and even maybe from the former coaching staff. So it was his job to build him back up. It's the same thing with Josh Allen. They better be breathing positivity into this kid's life and telling him, look, our record – it, it, it's bad, you know. Statistically, it's not going to look good, but right. you know, you are the like the one shining light in all of this that gives us hope for the future. You can't do what Hugh Jackson did with Deshaun Kaiser. Remember, start we're going to commit to him, and then like and then two weeks later, he was benched, and then put him back in. Right. Back. <laughs> right. So Tampa is in a unique spot with their quarterback situation. I don't think it's complicated at all. Uh, you got Deshaun Jackson comes out now and he says, Hey, we're rolling with Fitz. Why would you make a change? I think it's really obvious. And I think you've got the luxury of having Jameis Winston when he gets back from his suspension that if Fitzpatrick struggles, then you can go back to him. But if you're three and oh, or even two and one and, and Fitzpatrick plays well, why go back to Jameis Winston if you have a good thing going? Do not mess with his chemistry. You agree? Yes. I, I mean, think it's he's obvious. Done, I don't even know why anybody's even talking about he's this. He's done enough in the first two weeks. I mean, this is historic, right? No quarterback's ever thrown for four touchdowns over 400 yards in two games in a row and won both those games. He's the first to do it. Ryan Fitzmagic. Okay, and we'll see whether or not he gets that trademark. Since me and Fitzpatrick's going to take it. Yeah, and he's come out with like some swag outfits like he wore after the game. I don't know that Mama Fitzpatrick is, is trying to say <laughs> she's been calling Mika that for quite some time. So <laughs> when, when a mom gets involved, like th- this could not end well. Uh, we'll see what the attorney's say what would you what would the line be for you like what would it take to go back to James I think it would take well like is get, it a bad game is it a it, loss? It's, it's a couple bad games I think by right. Ryan Fitzpatrick and probably losses um I, I actually need to make a decision long term on James too right well it kind of already had to pick up his option right you can go the franchise tag route which is actually not the worst thing to do if you're Tampa right. I know no one likes doing it because of Kirk Cousins but you know I, I think if you just do it for one year you can end up working out a long-term deal if he's proven to you by then I think this is good for all parties involved for this reason. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the leader that this team needs right now. When you talk about the quote from Deshaun Jackson, when you see like the Eskimo beard kiss that he's given his offensive lineman. Yes, I love I mean, he, like, they love him. They love him. I don't know that anyone in that locker room has really fully bought in on Jameis Winston as a leader. And, and he's never had the opportunity to kind of sit and watch, like ever, ever in his life. He was always a top prospect in high school, going into college, and then in the NFL. Never had a chance to sit and watch. I actually think this could be a good moment for him to sit and watch Ryan Fitzpatrick until this thing kind of falls apart or whatever happens. And for Dirk Cutter, 
Like, you're on the hot seat, man. Yeah. Like, you can't afford to go back to Jameis Winston and then have it not work out and you lose games. That That's a direct correlation with your coaching decision making a poor one, and it's going to directly result in him potentially being dismissed after the year, if not before that. When we saw him in his outfit, the outfit he stole from Deshaun Jackson, when you traveled, did you come with two outfits or one? <laughs> I <laughs> I one. No, because I there was a plan for me, though. If I had a bad game, I wasn't rolling out the swagged-out suit. I was going to go out there like directly from the field, do the press conference after, like in the t-shirt, sweaty, <laughs> dirt on it. I didn't want to look all dapper while we had a bad game. So I was very, like, I was worried about public perception. You weren't though. You just roll with the I was always suited booty, GQ, GQ. That's what you liked. All right. Uh, we got to take a break. We're going to do my terrible 10, see if Brady uh, thinks I'm crazy. And you mentioned coaches on the hot seat. I got a stat that you're not going to believe on coaches on the hot seat. It's coming up next and off the bench. So Brady, did you notice Hannah like has a glow about her today? Like she just yeah. looks a little different. Yeah, got the a little swag. Yeah, she's still gloating over the Syracuse win. I can't. It was I a mean, pretty like, big win. <laughs> it was well, maybe, thirty to seven, maybe. But it's Florida State does not look very good. So maybe oh, it wasn't on. that impressive for Syracuse. Florida no. State's a, one of the top programs in college football. It was a big win. For yes. Historically, maybe this year not so much. Well. So congrats to Hannah. I did own up to the bet, paid my part. If you're listening to the podcast and you're wondering what the heck we're talking about. You can watch us every day on CBSSportsHQ.com. Go check that out. And if you're watching us here, wondering about the podcast, go subscribe. If you missed the show ever, you can check us out too there. Uh, all right. So you had a great question. You said, why is it called the DK's Terrible 10? That's a fan. T- I really didn't know the answer. I thought it was like some on the terrible towels or some good thing yeah. like that's been yeah. in the NFL. And Coke, our producer said, Oh, it's because all my takes are terrible. And so everybody's <laughs> going to think these are terrible. So I'll be curious to see what you think if this terrible 10 is a terrible list or not. The big mover for me, and I had the Eagles there last year, uh, last week, just because I felt like they deserved that spot, Super Bowl champ, you know, and then they had an ugly loss. So I had the Rams, big move for me, and the Chiefs, the biggest movers that I had in this group. And kind of not many other moves. Moved the Eagles down, obviously, after they lost. Panthers down a couple uh, after they had another um, game they lost, too. Any issues with this grouping right here? Uh, probably the order of some of the teams. you got a couple in there that I don't think. Oh, uh-oh. Okay, so Who do you got? Who do you not like the, in there? The Carolina the Bucks? Panthers. What about the Bucks? No, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with the Bucks being a top 10 team for the moment. Um, we'll see how things look this week versus Pittsburgh. I, I think Pittsburgh's going to come out swinging down in Tampa and end up is going to be able to win in relatively easy fashion. We can get into that later. The Panthers, though, that's the team that I don't think belongs. I just look at this team right now, and defensively, I don't know how good they are in coverage on the back end. They've always had a great defensive line, but that's just not enough to carry you right now. Offensively, besides Christian McCaffrey, they really don't have another option with Greg Olson being out. I know they drafted DJ Moore, the first-round pick, and it seems like head coach— touchdown, didn't he? Right, but and Ron Rivera saying like, yeah, we'd like to get him to football more. Um, but that's a team right now that I just think is going to kind of fade away in the NFC South. I don't really, I don't see the relationship with Cam Newton and North Turner uh, being one that we see all of a sudden flourishing at the end of the season. I could be wrong. I mean, the one thing I was surprised with was Norv has him running, running more zone read, which, which I like, think is the best way. And as much as you put him at risk. I think it's the best way to utilize him. You have to because he's not going to sit back there and throw at 35 games and sit in the pocket. So why not use him? You can extend drives on third and short, fourth and short. Use him that way. And he's built to, he's built to endure. He really is. Like you don't see many quarterbacks able to take the hits he does. No, he's a freak. But he can do it. Yeah. I mean, he, he can handle it. And I think it also helps sometimes quarterbacks get into a rhythm. You know, I don't know how you felt when you played. When I played, I got hit. I always felt better. Like I felt like getting hit earlier would wake you up. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like anyone who's boxed or sparred. 
anything like that. Like when you get in the ring with someone, you kind of have that anxiety. Those juices are kind of flowing. You're like, all right, I, I want to get hit first so I can kind of calm down and settle down. Absolutely. It's the same with a quarterback. So maybe that helps him a little bit. But to me, the Panthers as a team, I don't see them belong. Uh, the Eagles are an interesting one only because I wouldn't say they belong. Like I'm not going to give you brownie points just because you're the Super Bowl champs. Right. I want to see what you look like the next year. Right. And with Carson Wentz back, that, that's, that's what I'm most curious to see is how much of a, of a lift does he give this offense? Cause you know, they kind of need it. Like their secondary has played average so far, even though they've got a great front seven, they've been average on the back end and their passing games have been a little bit lethargic at times. So, uh, curious. To I'm see not high on the Eagles this year, period. But I felt like they deserved to kind of be put in that spot because they were coming off the Super Bowl. I didn't have them win the division this year because I do think they're going to have the target on their back. Yeah. And we don't know Carson Wentz how he's going to be coming. Like, does it affect your game? Talked about mental confidence. Like, he might look great running around. How is he feeling? Because it does take longer, and he's coming back quick. It's ten months since yeah. he's removed. He might be able to go out there and play, but there's that mental hang-up that's there when you have an injury like that. Quickly, two more teams. The Green Bay Packers. Where are they? They're not on this list, are they? <laughs> what, 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 what happened? Well, they've still got Aaron Rodgers out there hobbling around. Their defense is exactly <laughs> great. They weren't able to come over the Vikings. They weren't able to close out They're that They're one one right now. I mean, he came back and hobbled into Chicago. Teams out there. Well, you don't, okay, then my next team. You don't have Denver, one of your former teams you play for. What's up with that? Are you buying into Case Keenum? No, I'm not. All right, exactly. All right, the Jags I got up there, I'm buying into all right, so let's look. So we had the terrible 10. That's obviously the top 10 teams. Some of the worst teams in the league, 0-2 starts. They look like they're in trouble. Here's the stat I was talking about. And I'm see, I'm see if you're surprised by this too. There was a Vegas stat uh, put out online by BetOnline, I think it was, was the name of the company, uh, the book that had it. Uh, yeah, BetOnline.ig. Uh, they had the list, the favorite in the, co- in the clubhouse of the coach to be fired first. Who would you think would be like the coach right now that is on the hottest seat that you would fire right away. Oh, that's tough. Cause uh, I think it's pretty obvious. Really? I think when you have somebody who has won one game in the past 33 years. Hugh Jackson. I think it should be, and I think it probably is, but Vegas disagrees with me. Well, he's, tec- like- he's technically not 0-2 though. He is 0-1-1. <laughs> so that is true, but he still does not have a win. The leader in the clubhouse is Bill O'Brien with the Houston Texans. Rough start for them. Deshaun Watson coming off. I think there were a lot of high expectations for that team. He is at a uh, five to one. Hugh Jackson is at six to one odds to do that. So you've got this list of zero and two teams in the league. Which and there's the stat is out there. Everybody talks about zero and two. You're around ten percent chance that you can still make the playoffs. Although it was done last year by Drew Brees and the Saints. Is there a team on here that you look at, or maybe a couple? I think there are towards towards the bottom for sure. The Bills and Lions, but some teams at a higher expectations. That are in bigger trouble than we think. Yeah, look, Lions, Bills, neither of those teams are going to do much. Same thing with the Cardinals. And I think those three teams are, the, are probably the worst in their division. The team that I think had probably the highest expectations coming into it, a lot of hype around them, and I honestly thought before a trade occurred, they could be a contender in, 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 their, uh, in their division was the Oakland Raiders. I think they might even go to 0-3. They've got a long trip to Miami this week. Miami's a 2-0 football team. They're playing much more well-rounded when you look at their pass rush, their coverage on offense. Ryan Tannehill's been efficient, and their offensive line plays much improved. And, and the Raiders, even though they looked uh, offensively better versus Denver, I mean, you look at Derek Carr, he had three incompletions on the day, very efficient. They just, they're missing that one key piece that they needed, and they traded away in Cleo Mack. And John Gruden's paying for now. And this is going to be something that, yeah, in the long run, maybe you end up getting some players – or, you know, something similar to Cleo Mack. I don't think they're ever going to be able to hit on a draft pick like that again. 
but maybe you get some foundational players who help you win in the future. That doesn't matter. Like right now for that fan base, there's no guarantee that they even go back to Oakland next year. There's a lot of issues with the stadium rights at the O.co there. Mm-hmm. And so you essentially have mortgaged your here and right now in the short term for the long term, really for a Las Vegas Raider team that, you know, that they don't care about right now. I mean, this Oakland Raider fan base, and I don't know they've got a national fan base because they're in LA and they're near Oakland and there's a lot of people everywhere who, who root for the Raiders. But there's a lot of people in Oakland who are pretty ticked off. And I don't know if you ever played there, but that's a, that could be a tough place to play. Absolutely. And I just wonder if, if all of a sudden they go to 0-3 and then this team tries to come back home, you don't have that home field advantage anymore. It just it's, it starts to lead me to think that John Gruden's already starting to lose the fan base and maybe even lose the team a little bit. I did play there. It was an absolute dump. Probably the worst stadium in the NFL as far as locker Not probably. Set up. <laughs> yeah, there's no worse stadium. There's like a smell. There's a stench that's out there. The grass gets wet, and it kind of has manure smell in it. It is bad. It's as bad as it gets. I think Gruden has to be careful because he's old school, right? And if you lose, I feel like he's already has a struggle a little bit in that locker room because of trading away Khalil Mack. I think he was a, a guy that a lot of his teammates liked. Derek Carr, obviously, you know, was yeah. outspoken about it. I think he's got to be careful. If they go 0-3, and you know how it goes, it can snowball. And all of a sudden, it gets ugly in a hurry. And Gruden, if he tries to amp up the old school, we're going to hit more at practice, we're going to be tougher on you. You could see this team quit on him. In well, and quickly, what, what do you tell the guys, Jordy Nelson, Derek Johnson, these older vets you brought in? You told them you want to win right now, right. and then you trade away your best player. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, uh, we'll have to watch how they do coming to Miami, because I think you're right. I think they could be in trouble off a hot Miami team. All right, Brady Quinn has a Heisman lock, I think, or something like that. You wanted to do a Heisman segment, so we're going to do that next on Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Our boy Brady Quinn filling in for Raja today. The Heisman. It's never too early to talk about Heisman. No. I think it's unique this year because I think it really is wide open. I mean, I think there are obviously some leaders from Vegas, but last year you had Lamar Jackson, you know, went, you know, right off the, or two years ago, went right off, had the statistical, you know, games. Baker Mayfield had an early win against Ohio State. He kind of sat in the driver's seat and maintained it throughout the season. This year, Tua Tonga-Valoa, the odds-on favorite, seven to four from Las Vegas, but I don't feel like he's generated any of the type of buzz that the last few years the guys have at this point in the season because they've been blowing teams out. And I actually think that could hurt him because, yes, you need stats, which he's going to struggle to get because he doesn't play four quarters and they're still messing around with Jalen Hurts and other quarterbacks. But you also need Heisman moments. And if you look at their schedule, I don't even think he's going to need them. Like well, he's, he's already getting these touchdown passes in the first, second quarter. You need to have those game-winning throws or plays or moments to really capture the voters. And I just look at this and don't know if he's going to have that opportunity. I don't think they've gotten to the point in their schedule yet where he's had to. And, and yeah, I guess a, such a dominant team could end up playing kind of as a disadvantage for him in regards to the Heisman. That's why I think you, you really do need to dive into the stats a little bit more and look at third down. And him being perfect on the year, and you know from playing the position, like that's the one down where it's all on you. It's pretty predictable. They, the defense knows you have to throw it. You know you have to throw it. It's usually tight coverage. There's usually pressure. And he's been flawless this year. So that stat in itself is pretty impressive. Look, they got a tough one this week versus Texas A&M. Um, that'll be an interesting battle to see. Well, Obviously, term tough relatively. Relatively, still like yeah. three touchdown favorites. Well, and, and we really don't know if Texas A&M should even be a top 25 team right now. Um, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn, you know, that's the stretch there where they've got their layup versus Citadel in between. That's the stretch there where he's going to have to probably make some plays. He's going to have to make a moment for himself. I think all three of those teams are pretty good. Um, but does it bother you that Texas A&M is a top 25 team? 
Uh, yeah, but you know that's that's a that, that's a that's a wormhole that I don't know that we have time for. Like <laughs> like the AP poll doesn't matter. I, I actually spoke with a former college football playoff committee member two weeks ago. And he said, we don't even look at that at all. That's, see, that and, is BS to well, me. Because they can't, they obviously don't use it in their discussions, but if they are a college football there's fan. There's a perception. Absolutely. And it's impossible not to, to see it. Like it's not to, it's, when you watch the games on TV, like they do, well, cause some it's of your promoted stats. as a top 25 matchup. Yeah. You and, know? And, so, and some of your stats are going to be, oh, versus ranked opponents, right? right. And then you get the conversation of, well, was it ranked when they played them or was it, are they ranked now? Right. And then you go into that whole conversation, but that's a whole nother thing. I, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent <laughs> yeah, too far. Go and do a whole podcast on that. So, so back to the Heisman talk. Yeah. So you get, you're right. You got to have your Heisman moments. Okay. And that really comes down to scheduling and then, you know, being in the moment where you're able to have you know, that signature play. Stats are huge in a year like this because we don't have a front runner yet, but I think that has more to do with the schedule than anything else. What you can do at this point in time in the year, and this is what I want to talk about, was you can't win the Heisman, but you can sure as heck lose the Heisman at this point in time in the year. I remember going into my senior year, we opened up playing Georgia Tech on the road, a lot tougher team than we thought, ended up playing for the ACC championship that year, Um, ended up getting a tough win. Next week, we're coming home to play Michigan. Uh, Two top 10 ranked teams, a lot of hype around the matchup. Had probably one of my worst games in my college career. Week two of my senior year versus a team that recruited me. I almost went to. I mean, so much was on the line for me. And literally, I'll never forget. We had an early drive in the game. And, you know, we used to, you know, you signal in the play call and then you flip it because we have so many plays. We had like 150, 200 plays. Everything's on your wristband in right-handed formations. So then you flip it. So you flip the verbiage. So if it was a right formation, now it's a left. And if it's an even number, it's an odd number, right? So you right. went through. So I get the signal. I don't see that Charlie Weiss wants to flip it. He must have done it later. I didn't see it. Right. So I call the play and, and, and all of a sudden we have a cross route coming underneath my tight end. I throw it, hits him right here, bounces up, ends up being picked for a pick six. <laughs> I come off the sideline. I'm getting reamed the entire rest of the game for like not being mentally prepared and how could I miss the signal and flipping all this stuff. So nonetheless, we end up losing to, to Michigan. End up really kind of almost losing the Heisman at that moment because at the end of the year, Troy Smith had the chance to play Michigan, had a great game. They obviously went on to be still a top five ranked team the rest of the year. And even though statistically I had far superior stats to Troy Smith that year, I had already lost it. Like in the eyes of the public and the voters, I'd already lost in that one game. And so for me, like looking at who potentially has already lost it, I kind of think that's more the fun conversation, and and I don't know if were there's you any the favorite that year. Were you the like? Were you the guy coming into the in? season? There's yeah, no I think doubt. it's I think it's really hard to win as the favorite because of the expectation is on you. Everybody's watching; they're almost waiting for the for the falter, and yeah. then as soon as you falter, they're like done with you, and yeah. it's like oh he lost. So I agree with you. Like I think it has a huge impact. That's so, something I think Bryce Love has to deal because his right. first game out, he had what twenty nine yards against. Was it even that? Eight, yeah, right. it, was, it was. So everybody's like, oh, he must be done. It'll be interesting to see because they won the game. I think he might be able to fight his way back in. Right. And, and he's one where, you know, because of his slow start and then an injury, right? Kind of kept yeah. him out. Not that it matters, but for stats, it does, right? If you miss UC Davis, you could have had another 100 yard, 200 yard performance with touchdowns. Then all of a sudden it's helped you with that stat argument because he's going to have to be, he's going to be compared to Jonathan Taylor the entire year, yeah. the running back for Wisconsin. So he's a player that I kind of thought, ah, maybe he's already out because of that, which is unfair to him, but. That's the unfortunate truth to the Heisman. And then Shea Patterson, he kind of came in with some hype, like yeah. he was going to turn around Michigan. After they lost Notre Dame week one, all of a sudden 
he's been kind of the, on, on the outside hoping that if they make a run, maybe he gets back into it. But those are kind of the first two guys that come to mind. What about Will Greer? He's at 9-2. to two. He's obviously going to put up big numbers because of where he plays. They throw it all over the yard. But it feels like a West Virginia team would have to do something like win the Big 12. You got to win the Big 12. They have to go to the college football playoff. Now, what if he yeah. loses? Let's say, let's say they're 11 and 1 and he loses to Oklahoma, but Oklahoma loses to other. And it's hard to picture these scenarios, but like, can he, or if they're 10 and 2, yeah. like, can he, can he still, can he still win it or do they have to be something special? Cause I think there is a formula. I think it's quarterback for the most part. Yep. I think it's a huge statistical. They want yep. gaudy statistics. And I think you have to be in the national championship hunt and at least be close enough to be considered for the playoffs, be a top six, top eight team at the end of the year. Look at the brands though too. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've got, let's say three of the top brands in college football. Oregon, I, I think is strong, obviously on the West coast nationally. There, there's some hype there. But with Lamar Jackson and Marcus Mariota, what they were able to do in 2016 and 2014 is they had not only one were they in the race for a good portion of the season, but the stats. Their stats were by far and away so superior to everyone else yep. that you couldn't deny them. I mean, you can go even go back to Tim Tebow's year, the year he won it. There really wasn't a front runner. I mean, and they weren't in the national championship hunt, but you didn't have anyone all of a sudden really separate themselves. So then it came down to stats, and his passing and rushing stats in the SEC were far superior. So it ended up kind of being his award. Like, I remember that year, had Dennis Dixon stayed healthy for Oregon, he probably would have won the Heisman that year. Yeah. Unfortunately, he got hurt, and then that was kind of the end of the deal. I want to see a tight race at the end of the season, because I think the Heisman races the last couple of years have been kind of boring. Like, yeah. they've been kind of locked up too early. Pretty I would like to see it. Yeah, I would like to see it where it's a toss-up where nobody knows what direction it's going to go to. All right, let's get Hannah in here. She's still gloating. we got the Syracuse <laughs> up there. She's got some socially relevant for us. Sorry, Denny. All right, I just have two quick ones for y'all today. So last night, the Blue Jays faced off against the Orioles, but it was what went down in the stands that had our attention. This is what, Danny, this is what it would look like if you got used to wearing some orange. Take a look. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> what is he? Wow, look at the... <laughs> this guy does his Pilates for his bar. Whoa. I that was so I used to go to spring training baseball. They used to have the, the Yankees used to come to Fort Lauderdale for spring training. I used to go out there with my dad all the time. That was one of my favorite things were see the vendors because you'd always have like the character. Like if it was some boring kid who didn't want to be out there, like some high school kid, yeah. Didn't, I didn't want to buy from him, but if there was a guy yelling or doing stuff like that, that's the guy you wanted to buy from, and you'd tip him big. How old do you think he was? Clancy was up there, but he looked like he was still. Because it wasn't play. overly impressive if you don't include like what his age is. He's probably 50 plus. I don't know. Speaking of pliability, I don't know if I could do that leg move he did at the beginning. That was <laughs> really? pretty impressive. Hannah, don't you think that was impressive? Yeah, I thought it was impressive. Danny, no I expect you to be taking notes on that one. All right, for sure. I will, for sure. <laughs> By the way, special shout out to the official food group on Instagram for letting us in on that fun. Elsewhere in baseball, the Cubs cruise to a nine to one win over Arizona last night. So you can blame one fan for just letting it all out in the stands. This dad went viral for not his dancing skills, but for his daughter, who definitely did not want her name tied to her pop <laughs> week flossing <laughs> dance moves. By the way, I didn't even know that this was called flossing until about like thirty minutes ago. You but did it? No, I had no oh my idea. Danny, is kids. this a live look into what it's like with Oh daughter? my gosh, she even got worse. She is so mad right now. <laughs> this is me, not with my nine and six year olds. And there's something about it with the dad, my eleven year old 
I actually, I won't do what this dude's doing. Like, this dude's taking it next level. But I actually love embarrassing my daughters. And she's starting to, like, when they're <laughs> younger, they still think it's cute. And they kind of like it. And they kind of blush. And then they'll be like, stop. 11, she's starting to get mad. She's like, dad, stop. Like, stop. <laughs> what are we doing right now? You're too, too young. To oh, mine are way right? too young. Wait, yeah. I thought you're, are you still not in the cool phase where like the cool dad, everything with, you do with is. With nine and six? Yes. I'm the cool dad, still hold hands in public. 11, we have crossed over to oh, the other man. side where I am no longer the superhero. So now I've got like, like 10 years, basically 10 yeah, years. 10 years. And then I actually, done. I heard some people say like seven and eight. So I actually feel like I've stretched it a little bit longer than most dads do. But it is, uh, Hannah, do you remember? Do you remember anything from your childhood, like your dad embarrassing you? No, my dad was always cool to me. He was always cool. How, how did you he not was. know flossing? I, I, thought, you, say, I thought you, you were guys, down with all the dance moves. Did you guys know moves. that? No, not yes. that dance move. Are you they kidding me? Yeah, flossing, hype. There's a bunch of all no. Fortnite stuff. Do you all know how to do that? The floss? I'm not going to do Are you, are you going to do it right now? No, I'm not going to try. Quick? I know I'm conveniently standing, but I'm are not Are you not coordinated enough to do it? I actually no, know I how to floss, but there's not room in the studio. You got yeah, I Come know how to on. do it, but I can't do it in the studio. There's no room to do it. I would yeah, have yeah, a wide enough camera angle. Yeah, exactly. Next bet, I'm doing that. That's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up after the break, Danny and Brady break down today's leftovers. Stay with us. You're watching Off the Bench. All right, let's finish off some leftovers. So I saw this report that came out, and I was pretty surprised by it. And then I was like, hold on a second. I want in on it, even though I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Like, let's get every former <laughs> player, gold every hack you want. Yeah, exactly. So there's a group of Hall of Famers. Uh, Eric Dickerson was one of the guys that spearheaded them. Uh, Jim Brown, Derek Brooks, Earl Campbell, Richard Dent, a lot of big names. Obviously, they're Hall of Famers. They should have big names. A couple of them have backed off a little bit. Kurt Warner and Jerry Weiss kind of distanced themselves a little bit. But – they have made a plea. They're saying, you know what? We want to get a salary because we're in the Hall of Fame, I guess. Uh, we want health insurance for life. And they're saying, if we don't get it, we're not going to show up for the Hall of Fame ceremony. I think they're a little bit off their rocker right now at this point. I think it's selfish. And I think you're seeing guys who just want to find out a way to get paid. I mean, and it's easy money if them, if they can get this done. I don't think there's any way it happens, though. It comes off as incredibly selfish and greedy. And, and, and here's the thing that upsets me the most is... When you are the best player, right, of your era, of your generation, um, you're looked at as a leader, right? You kind of look at it as like the face of that organization or of the NFL in a way, especially when you don that gold jacket. And, and as a former player, and obviously neither of us were in the Hall of Fame, but you look up to those guys and those guys should be the ones that are paving the way to create change or to try to provide for a better future for future players, right? That's not what they're doing. No. They're just trying, it's a money grab. I mean, they're being selfish. They're being greedy. They're just trying to essentially get paid for being in the Hall of Fame. Like, if you feel like, um, the conditions under which you played weren't good enough, then, then that's, you know, that's a product of like timing. Like, I, I can't help that, right? right? Like, I was born when I was, I was born and like, for, for example, Sam Bradford, everyone talks about all the money he made, right? Yep. If he was born a year later, right. he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been drafted number one, or number one overall with a $50 million guaranteed contract, right? right. So it just so happens he was lucky enough to be born when he was born. But if you want to create change, like use your voice to be unified with all former players. And you could try to get those benefits for lifetime health insurance, I'm sure, much easier with a more unified voice instead of being kind of this, these, you know, greedy Hall of Fame players who, like Eric Dickerson, for example, he's the one that came out and said, yeah, $300,000 a year. $300,000 a year for what? Right. What, what are you and doing? most of these guys can probably make that much for autograph signings. Apparently, so he, he charges in particular like $10,000 to $20,000 per speech. Right. Per speech. Yep. 
And and mind you, he made probably back during his time, like what, in the eighties or whatever, like a million a year. I think that came out to which. Look, I don't want to get too technical. Do the time value of money. A million dollars back in the 1980s was a lot of money back then. And if he handled it right, right, invested it right, and didn't touch his pension, maybe he wouldn't be asking for money now. Like, that's the other thing is these guys dip into their pension early. Yeah. Then all of a sudden they don't have any money, and now they're just looking to grip. That's more. what I think a lot of it is. You see uh, some bitter players who feel like they didn't get theirs while they paid, and they see some of these big numbers going around. They're like, hold on a second. This is messed up. Were you a player rep at all in your career? No. Ultimately, I was a player rep and sat in some of those meetings the players now are not worried about former players they really aren't they're worried about their current situation how do we maximize things for us and the generations to come not the generations that have been already i don't i don't even know if that's messed up or not i think they would like to do some things i think demora smith tries to get in there and appear like they're taking care of the guys who paved the way but the bottom line is they're moving here and moving forward should they do some more for former players sure, sure. they can but uh do for all of them there's a lot of, of fame, people yes. with their hands out a yeah. lot of people with their hands out for sure um me and you missed an opportunity because we could have been up in Boca working out. I'm a little bit mad at Lane Kiffin up at FAU because <laughs> he had Mark Ingram in there for a workout. He's trying to stay in shape while he's, you know, on a suspension. Yeah. We could have had two former gunslingers here throwing to him in the workout. We're right down the road. Come on, Lane. you got to call us up. I think it was a pretty cool idea. And Lane Kiffin was very aware, said we're not going to do it during practice. You know, we break the, the rules of the NCAA. Had him in after his practice is over. Had Mark Ingram out there in full pads running through a workout. I think it's great exposure for Lane Kiffin. He has mastered how to generate publicity around his university, and it's a great thing for us. Well, it's here. huge. And by the way, if anyone hasn't been to Boca Raton, Florida, like just go take a trip up there. It's, it's really nice, I was going to say. So it's not hard to be able to get former players, especially Alabama, since they're so prevalent in the NFL. They have the most of any school right now in the NFL. So when those guys, if they do transition out, why not? Why not utilize the connection you had during your time there? Have them down for a workout. It creates more buzz. It creates a little bit more excitement around the program. Not to mention, they've already got enough excitement as it is. So I love the move. I think he's more at the front, you know, kind of cutting edge of being able to think of these social media, of doing yeah, all those types all of things. Absolutely, creating that buzz, like making your school buzzworthy. And you know where it impacts? It helps your players like morale to see Mark Ingram out there, but also crushes it in recruiting when yeah. you get these guys and you can tell them, hey, we've got this kind of connections, and we're in Boca. All those types of things absolutely help the program. All right, Texas Tech quarterback Alan Bowman. So it kind of went viral that he doesn't tie his cleats. You saw him play. Yeah. Big deal or no big deal? Uh, I, he can do whatever he wants if he wants to throw <laughs> for over 600 yards as a true right. freshman. Right. Yeah. You, you can, I don't even know if you want to wear shoes if you, if you can throw for 600 yards like that. So. Got, so they're not, cause we were talking about it before too. There are a lot of shoes now that are yeah. made where they're kind of built in socks and the laces don't really serve any purpose. It's just cause everybody's always worn laces. They kind of keep them on there. Yeah. And actually, if you've ever worn them, they're probably more comfortable to not cause they're already pretty tight as it is. But again, he moved around fine. I didn't see his shoe come off. I just saw that ball sailing around the field. He was dropping dimes. Did you ever make any fashion statements on the field? Like, did you ever do anything different? Like, were you a spat guy? I would try to spat. Yeah. Cause I was slow. So I was like, all right, this might make me look a little bit faster if I spat. I went one time, Virginia, Thursday night football. I did one sleeve and one sock up high, the other one low. I thought it looked great. It was cool. It was different. And then I threw three picks and we lost.